Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Stay standing. We're going to read this passage together out loud. Proverbs 21, verses 30 and 31. Reading out loud together. No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. Amen and amen. No means no in Hebrew and Greek in English and in Spanish. No one and nothing will prevail against the Lord. Your victory comes from the Lord. My victory comes from the Lord. Say that with me out loud. My victory comes from the Lord. Again, my victory comes from the Lord. Your victory and my victory every day, today, and all through our days, every moment of every day, comes from our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. Our victory is from the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 1. We are continuing in our new series titled Think Well, Live Well. We are learning from our Old Testament friend Moses about how we can get out of our own way so that we can go God's way day by day. Our enemy Satan is at work on us, but God is at work in us, giving us the desire and strength to fulfill all his good purposes for us. Last Sunday, we identified a few points about Moses uh, that will help us as we make our way through this series. We'll review them real quickly. The first point was Moses uh, was a Jew. He was a Hebrew from the priestly tribe of Levi. The second point was Moses' parents were godly parents. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, by faith Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Amram and Jochebed, were faithful to God. They believed in God. They trusted God. They obeyed God. They didn't fear or follow King Pharaoh's edict. Moses learned about God and about faith in God from his parents, Amram and Jochebed. The third point was Moses was a man of faith. The author of Hebrews reminded us, told us five times in the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses again and again and again. Moses was a man of faith in God. The fourth point was Moses was an excellent leader. Uh, Israel has never had a leader like Moses ever again. Moses is encouraging to us today because Moses was far from perfect, and yet he was used by God to do amazing things for God. Like Moses, God wants his work in us, even in these moments, to be seen through us by all those he's going to place around us. God's plan for Moses was connected to God's plan for Joseph. And last week we focused on this connection. Joseph was sold uh, by his brothers and ended up in Egypt alone by himself. A young man in a brand new country. God was with Joseph and blessed Joseph. Joseph uh, interpreted Pharaoh's dream because of God's wisdom. And so Pharaoh king of Egypt loved Joseph, put Joseph as second in charge, the whole kingdom of all Egypt. And Joseph successfully led Egypt and many surrounding nations through the seven-year famine that came. 
Joseph's family moved, Jacob and his brothers, their generations, their brothers, their families, all 70 moved to Egypt during this time. And during this time in Egypt, uh, Israel grew, they prospered, increased mightily. Bible scholars say that there was potentially upwards of a couple of million Israelites living in Egypt. Exodus 1 and verse 8, a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. This is where the scene shifts from Joseph to Moses. New king came, time passed. Joseph and his generation all passed, they died. And a new king came into power, a new pharaoh came into power in Egypt who did not know about Joseph. And so we pick up in Exodus 1 and verse 9. This new king king of power in Egypt said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly, made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shipra and the second whose name was Puha, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives. The people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. The new king tried to stop the growth of the Israelites by oppressing them, by working them ruthlessly, by telling the Hebrew midwives to kill the Hebrew baby boys from birth, and by telling ultimately all the Egyptians to kill the Hebrew baby boys after birth. His plan failed. Amram and Jochebed, the parents of Moses, didn't fear or follow the king's edict. When Moses was born to Jochebed, they hid him for three months. When Moses was three months old, they put him in a basket and they set him along the Nile and the reeds along the Nile. And Moses' sister stood afar off watching to see what would happen to her brother. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe, and as she did, her servant girls walked along the bank of the Nile. And as Pharaoh's daughter looked, she noticed the basket in the reeds, and she sent one of her servant girls to go get the basket. They got the basket. They brought it to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter looked, took the basket, opened it up, saw the baby Moses, heard the baby Moses, and showed compassion on this young three-mold infant Moses. Note Pharaoh's own daughter didn't follow her father's command and edict. At that point, Moses' sister comes onto the scene and asks Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go find a Hebrew woman who could nurse and raise the baby for you? 
And she said, absolutely, yes. And so Moses' sister took Moses, three months old, and guess who he went to? Jochebed, mom. Gave little brother to mom, Jochebed, then nursed and cared for and raised Moses. And get this, Pharaoh's daughter agreed to pay wages to Jochebed to nurse and care and raise her own son, Moses. And you know this as well as I know this, it really wasn't Pharaoh's daughter who paid for that. You know that's right. Guess who paid? Pharaoh! Pharaoh, no doubt, paid for Jochebed to nurse and raise her baby Hebrew son. Are you kidding me? Go, God, go. Say that with me. Go, God, go. God's got a sense of humor. This is unbelievable. What did we just finish saying? No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel will prevail against the Lord. And so we get into the passage now in Exodus chapter 2 in verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. When the child, Moses, grew older, she, Jochebed, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, notice in verse 10, when the child, Moses, grew older. We don't know the exact age. We don't know the exact age at this point. But when the child, Moses, grew older, Jochebed brought Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses as her son. And Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because she drew him out of water. Interesting note, God would later use Moses to draw Israel out of the water of the Red Sea and his work in their lives of bringing them to the promised land. Names always had meaning in scripture. And we see this is true with Moses. And so we continue in verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Years later, after Moses had grown up, referred to the time when Moses was trained and educated in Egyptian culture, in Egyptian ways. We know this because we see this in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we're going to be jumping to Acts 7 and Hebrews 11. So if you want to get your uh, finger in those places, Acts 7, uh, in, he, in, in this passage, Luke affirmed this plan. Luke affirmed what happened to Moses in Exodus here in Acts as Luke recorded the sermon from Stephen in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen traced God's work from the Old Testament to the New Testament in his people uh, saving them from their sins. And so in Acts 7 and verse 20 we read this recollection. This was part of actually Stephen's sermon, and he said this. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months. When he was put outside, Pharaoh's own daughter adopted him and raised him as her son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was powerful in his speech and actions. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. So in Exodus 2, years later, after Moses had grown up, referred to the time when Moses was educated in Egypt, 
years later after Moses had grown up, referred to the time when Moses was 40 years old and he went out and he went to check on his people, Israel, in Egypt to see how they were doing and he saw how they were being oppressed by the forced labor, which we read about in Exodus chapter 2. We also know years later in Exodus 2 verse 11, after Moses had grown up, referred to the strength of Moses' faith in God and his love for his people of Israel. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. So in Exodus 2.11, years later after Moses had grown up, also referred to the fact that by faith Moses chose to identify and relate with his people, the Hebrews, Israel, rather than, and he chose to suffer, not just to relate to his people, but to suffer with his people, the Israelites, in Egypt, rather than enjoying the privileges of the palace and the fleeting pleasures of sin which were available to him as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was all before him. But Moses, remember, was a man of faith in God. And he chose to suffer with the Israelites rather than to indulge in all that he could have. This decision by Moses is evidence for you and me today that Moses lived by faith in God. And so we continue in verse 12. This is awesome. Watch this now. Uh, he saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people, into verse 11. Looking all around and seeing no one, he, Moses, struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. Luke wasn't kidding when he said Moses was powerful in speech and actions. This is not Moses' best moment. Moses turned away from God and sinned against God here. Moses took his eyes off God and he walked by the flesh, not by faith. Moses' righteous anger at his fellow Hebrew being struck was handled unrighteously. He didn't handle it God's way. Scripture tells us, looking around, that's a key, Looking around, what does that mean? It means this. Moses goes out and he sees the Egyptian striking his Hebrew brother. He looks around, looks in the front, looks behind him, looks to the right, looks to the left. Scripture says, seeing no one, he goes and he strikes and kills that Egyptian. And he attempts to cover it up by hiding and burying him in the sand. We know that Moses' conscience more than likely wasn't clear because of how Scripture reveals this episode to us. He was looking around, checking, and then he acted. Looking around before we take an action is generally an indicator that we probably don't need to take the action. You know this as well as I do. I mean, nothing's hidden from God's sight. And so... 
this is going on with Moses. Now, we find out a little bit as to what Moses was thinking when he did this in Acts 7. This is awesome. In Acts 7, we get a little bit more clarity than we do in Exodus 2 about what Moses was thinking. In verse 23, when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, that's what we know, he came to his rescue and avenged, uh-oh, the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. Here it is. He assumed, Moses assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Moses thought, he assumed that his people, the Israelites, in particular the one that was being struck by the Egyptian, would understand his action, would understand him taking that Egyptian out. He thought, he assumed that they would understand that he was their deliverer who was going to deliver them from their bondage in Egypt. But his people didn't understand at this point in time because it wasn't God's time. And Paul reminds us, as he wrote to us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul speaks to us today as he reminds us, overcome evil with good, not with evil. Moses here was impatient. He was impulsive. He ran ahead of God. He took matters into his own hands and he made a mess of things. We must learn from Moses. We must be careful not to become impulsive and impatient, not to run ahead of God, not to take matters into our own hands because when we do, more often than not, we make a mess of things. Remember now, God would use Moses later to deliver Israel from Egypt in God's time, not Moses' time. God uses us in his work and the lives of people around us in his time, not in our time, which means we must keep our eyes on God as we walk by faith in God so that we can remain sensitive to the spirit of God at work in us so that we can say what God wants us to say to those he places around us, so we can encourage the way he wants us to encourage, so we can bless the way he wants us to bless, so we can confront the way he wants us to confront, so that we can help the way he wants us to help, so that we can minister the way he wants us to minister, so we can serve the way he wants us to serve, as we interact with those God places around us. God's time is always right, never early, never late, always on time. Moses got ahead of God's plan here. He ran ahead and made a mess of things. And so we get back to Exodus, to the scene in Exodus chapter two, verse 13. The next day, get this, the next day he went out, Moses went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. So we see here, Moses failed to conceal and cover up his sin. He thought he did by burying the Egyptian. He didn't. And we know this as well. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He sees all. And so these two Hebrews, his people, are fighting one another. And Moses understands after talking with them, uh-oh, they know what I did the day earlier 
to the Egyptian. Scripture says Moses became afraid. He was filled with fear. When we walk by the flesh, we are filled with fear. When we walk by the Spirit, we're filled with peace. He was filled with fear. Moses thought to himself, well, if these two guys knew what I did yesterday, then that probably means Pharaoh knows. And we find out that that is exactly the case. Pharaoh heard about what Moses did to the Egyptian, and he came after Moses, and he tried to kill him. Moses fled, ran away, escaped, and he left Egypt, and he fled and ran all the way to Midian. And we pick back up in Acts chapter 7, and we find out what's going on with Moses in Midian. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 29. When he heard this, Moses fled. When he heard this meaning, when he heard Pharaoh knew and was coming after him, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years passed, after 40 years, say that with me, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. So, What's going on? Well, we know God still had work to do in Moses to prepare, grow, and train Moses before he was going to use Moses to lead Israel out of bondage in Egypt. So here's the time. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt growing up. Moses spent the second 40 years of his life in Midian being trained up by God. Moses spent the final 40 years of his life, because Deuteronomy tells us he was 120 years old when he passed. Moses spent the final 40 years of his life in Egypt in the wilderness, being used by God to deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt and leading them to the edge of the promised land. Praise God that he grows us up and he trains us up so that he can use us up for his honor, glory, name, and fame. Amen? Amen. God is right now in the process of working in your life and in my life. We've been focused on that, this the last couple of weeks. He's in the process of working in our lives. He's growing us up. He's training us up because he wants to use us up. You may be in the same, you may be in all three of those processes. God's growing us and training us while he's using us. And he's growing and training us so that he can continue to use us in greater and greater ways. And we see this within the example of Moses. And now we come to Exodus chapter two. And we come now to the end. Moses is in Midian, right? Remember now, Moses is in Midian. And guess what's going on with Israel? They're still in Egypt, being ruthlessly oppressed. Watch this, Exodus two, beginning of verse 23. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. What an amazing message of encouragement, blessing, and hope for you and me today. So what's our application today? How does this 
passage that happened thousands of years ago impact you and me today? I think it impacts us right where we are in these moments, and it will continue to impact us throughout the rest of this week. What is our application from this passage? What do we take away from this passage? It's real simple. First, I must be honest with God. I must be honest with God. You must be honest with God. Look in verse 23, when 24 and 25 there at the end, he said, they groaned, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They groaned, that means they sighed, that means they moaned, that means they despaired due to the difficult labor and the oppression that they were receiving from Pharaoh in Egypt. What does it mean? It means they groaned to God. They cried out to God. They they were honest with God. In their groaning, they were honest with God. It's in our groanings that we're at our most honest point. And so we know and understand how important this is for us today. The Christian life is the blessed life. The Christian life is the best life. But listen, the Christian life is not the easy life. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. We are of God, and the whole world is under the sway and influence of the evil one, Satan. We are called to live godly lives in an ungodly world. We are called to live for Jesus in a world that is in rebellion against Jesus. We're called to live for Jesus in a world that is in opposition to Jesus. It is right for you and for me to groan at injustice. It's right for us to groan at the devastation of sin. It's right for us to groan at the effectiveness of Satan and his work in this world. It's right for us to groan when unrighteousness triumphs over righteousness. It's right for us to groan in our sufferings, in our struggles, in our sorrows. It's right for us to groan to God, to be honest with God. We must be honest with God. We must groan and sigh. We must communicate with God. We must be honest with him. As the psalmist said, we need to look up to the hills, look up and lift up our eyes to God because our help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. And so we must groan when difficulties hit us, when challenging times come our way. The Israelites, they groaned. They were honest with God, but they didn't stop with their honesty. They were honest with God. Second application point for you and me is I must cry out to God. We see that they groaned in their difficult labor. And what do they do? They cried out. And their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. So they were honest with God, then they cried out to God. Cried out means to cry in distress loudly. It means to call out for help from God together. The Israelites... They groaned to God. They were honest with God. They cried out to God. And God wants you and me to cry out to him. He wants us to cry out to him every day, all through the day. We are honest with God and our groanings to God. And then we must cry out to God in distress, loudly, faithfully, continually, passionately, asking for his help. There's no reason for us not to cry out to God. The psalmist said, the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The psalmist said, the Lord hears the righteous. The righteous cry out. The Lord hears them and he rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Peter said, call the Lord and he he cares for us so we can cast our cares on him. Jesus said, ask, seek, and not because he longs to open the doors to answer us and to bless us. 
We see over and over again, we can be honest with God. We need to be honest with God. Even here right now in these moments, we need to take time and look inwardly. Each one of us. And as we learn from Moses and the Israelites, we begin to see that apply in our lives. And we need to allow this season of groaning, being honest with God to happen, even in these moments, just being willing to humble ourselves and being open to be honest with God. And then we need to cry out to God for his help. Listen, if you're angry, cry out to God for help. If you're afraid, cry out to God for help. If you're bitter, cry out to God for help. If you're brokenhearted, cry out to God for help. If you're confused, cry out to God for help. If you're crushed in spirit, cry out to God for help. If you're discouraged, cry out to God for help. If you're defeated, cry out to God for help. If you're exhausted, cry out to God for help. If you're hurting, cry out to God for help. If you're lonely, cry out to God for help. If you are overwhelmed, cry out to God for help. If you're suffering, cry out to God for for help. If you're worried, cry out to God for help. If you're upset, cry out to God for help. We are honest with God, and then we are able to cry out to God. That's what we see happening here. This groaning, they were honest. The Israelites just groaned and came up to the Lord when they're groaning, and they cried out to God for help, and their prayers and their groaning ascended to God. And then our third step, just like these Israelites, you and I must walk by faith in God. As we are honest with God, as we cry out to God for help, then we walk by faith in God. The Israelites walk by faith in God, and God wants us to do the same thing. I want you to see in this passage, it's important, I want you to see in this passage God's response. You see the two things that the Israelites did. They're the two things that we need to do. They were honest with God in their groaning, and they cried out to God for help in their prayers. Those were the two actions of the Israelites. Now I want you to see what God did. What did God do? There's four things God did in response. I want you to see it. Four things. Number one, God, God heard the Israelites. God heard their cries. God heard their groaning. God heard their requests for help. God heard them. He heard what was going on with them. He heard their heart. He heard their prayers ascended to God. God heard them. Secondly, we see God remembered his covenant. God remembered his covenant with them. God remembered his promise to his servant Abraham that he also affirmed through Isaac and through Jacob. The promise to bless Abraham and to bless all nations through Abraham, to make him a mighty nation. And so what happened is, as the Israelites were groaning to God as they were honest with God, as they were crying out to God. God looked on the Israelites. He heard their cries and their groans. And what did God do? God remembered his covenant promise to his faithful servant Abraham to bless them. So God heard, God remembered. Third, we see that God saw. He saw them. He saw the Israelites. He saw them in their pain. He saw them in their oppression. He saw their difficult labor. He saw their suffering. He saw their hurting. He saw their struggles. He saw them. And he looked on them 
with eyes of compassion and grace and love. He saw them. So he, he heard the Israelites. He remembered his covenant promise. He saw them. And then scripture says, God knew. God knew. That means God took notice of Israel and he knew it was time. It was time to deliver Israel from bondage. And that's exactly what he did. Moses was ready. Israel was ready. Most importantly, God was ready. And he began the process of delivering Israel from bondage in Egypt. Now here's what God is speaking to us this morning. He responds to you and me the exact same way today. God hears us. He hears you and he hears me. He hears us when we cry out to him in prayer. He hears us as we groan to him. He hears us in our suffering. He hears us in our difficulties. He hears us in our struggles. God hears us. Secondly, God remembers us. God, as he hears us, he remembers his promises to us. He remembers his promises to forgive us our sins as we confess them to him. He remembers his promises to grant us wisdom as we ask it from him. He remembers his promises to meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He remembers his promises to you and to me that he will never leave us, fail us, forget us, or forsake us. He hears us. He remembers us. Then I want you to see that that God also sees us. He sees you and he sees me. He sees what is going on in us. He sees what is happening to us. He sees what is going on around us. And he sees us with eyes of compassion. He sees us with eyes of forgiveness. He sees us with eyes of grace. He sees us with eyes of love. He sees us with eyes of mercy. He sees us with eyes of comfort. He sees us with eyes of peace. He sees us with eyes of strength. He sees us with eyes of understanding. He sees us with eyes of wisdom, with eyes of patience, with eyes of perseverance. Listen, he sees you and he sees me. Every step of our way, every moment of our day, his eyes are on us. His ears are open to us. And then we know that, that God knows us. God knows us. God knows you. God knows me. What does that mean? It means God takes notice of us. And God is working in us. He's at work in us. He's working in us and he knows what's best for us and he knows when it's best for us and God always does what's best for us. He knows us. 
He knows you. He knows where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at this morning. He knows where you're at, moms. He knows where you're at, dads. He knows where you're at, sir. He knows where you're at, ma'am. He hears you. He remembers his promises to you. He sees you. Everything is laid bare before the Lord. And he sees us. He knows us. He knows us exactly what we need when we need it. And he always does what is best for us. And so our takeaway today, as we look at this passage, is real simple. From the Israelites and from Moses, what we learn is this. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. When we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we're not okay, it's okay. God hears. God remembers. God sees. And God knows. We don't minimize our pain and problems. Moses didn't minimize the pain and problems of Israel. What did Moses do? He maximized God and his love, power, and wisdom to help. And so we don't minimize our pain and problems, but what we do is we maximize God, his love and his power and his wisdom to help us in our time of need. And so because we know it's okay to not be okay, because we know God hears and God remembers, God sees and God knows, we can be honest with God. We can cry out to God. And then we can walk by faith in God, by his power at work in us. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. In these moments, I want to encourage you to do just what the Israelites did years ago. The altar is open as it always is. This is God's time with us. He's speaking, he's working, he's moving. And he wants us to respond in obedience to him. I want to encourage you to to spend time being honest with God. I want to encourage you to spend time crying out to God. And as you are honest with God, as you groan and share your heart with the Lord, and as you cry out to the Lord asking for his help, you can know that you know that you know that he hears you, he remembers his promises to you, he sees you, he knows you, he is working on your behalf, he's watching over you even now, and he's working in you, doing what is best for you. And as you are honest with God, to cry out to God, then I want to challenge you to walk out your faith in God. Our pastors and ministers will be up front here. They would love to pray with you, pray for you. God may be leading you to go to a brother or sister in Christ, to go to someone who is in a time of hurting, and he may want you to go and be that minister of grace, that minister of love, that minister of hope encouragement maybe to go and pray with them to cry out to God for them if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord then then God's desire for you is to receive his gift of salvation by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in the finished work of Christ on the cross that opens the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God by His grace and work in our lives through our response of faith and trust in Jesus. 
We would love to introduce you to Jesus this morning and help you make that decision to say yes to him. God's working. Let's continue to respond to him. Our faith and trust in him. Let's stand and say yes to the Lord.